Jesus' name. Will you turn with me this morning to the second epistle to Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Let us pray. Father, take your word now, inscribe it in our hearts, and print it on our minds, and glorify your Son. We ask it, For Jesus' name's sake. Amen. The Apostle is writing to Timothy. Some say it's from a prison cell, and some say it's from, uh, really, he's in a house, but yet he is housebound, as it were. The Roman Roman centurions and soldiers have him there as a, a house prisoner, if you want. But nevertheless, he's writing from a prison cell or a house, and he's captive. In other words, he's not free. And he writes to Timothy, and this is the second recorded writing, obviously, second Timothy. And he writes to instruct Timothy, and he writes to encourage Timothy, and he even writes to admonish Timothy. Now, it's good to be instructed when we need instruction. And it's great to be encouraged when we need encouragement. But it seems bad or a senseless thing when we're admonished. You know, to be admonished is to give a a gentle form of rebuke. Let me give you an example. And I used to say it here. Maybe I overset it here, but I used to say it here. I admonish you to come out to church tonight. I said it on purpose, and I said it for a reason. In other words, the gentle rebuke is this, that those who know they can be or should be in the house of God tonight and don't come out because they're carried away with other things, the rebuke is, you know where you should be on the Lord's Day evening. You can be here, and you're not here. That's the rebuke, so please come out. It's not something too forceful. It's, if you know where you should be, then be there. So that's the admonishment. And it's not shouting somebody down. It's not condemning someone. It's saying, look, this is the Lord's Day. That's where we should be. That's just an example I'm giving you. And you see, rebuke turns to reproof. 
What's the difference? For example, if I rebuke someone and they did wrong, if I rebuke someone, says, you were wrong, and they said, okay, I'm wrong, sorry, apologize, then that turns to reproof. And reproof is really this, that they've acknowledged their wrongdoing. They've acknowledged where they've went wrong, and so they put it right. If you rebuke someone and they do not put it right and they're guilty, it stays with them a rebuke. And others may not be guilty and rebuked for nothing and they need put nothing right. For example, Peter said to the Lord, you're not going to Jerusalem, paraphrasing. And the Lord said, I'm going. Peter says, far be it for you to go, for they'll kill you. And in other words, there was nothing in the Lord that Peter could rebuke to keep him away from Calvary, to keep him away from dying for us. He was innocent. So he had nothing to change his mind on. He had nothing to put right nor fix right. And that reproof came that there was nothing in Christ. So whenever we read of Paul saying to Timothy, Timothy, this is what's going to happen. This is the way you should be. This is what I want you to do. He's instructing him. That's good. He's encouraging him. That's great. He's rep- admonishing him something different altogether. And what he's saying gently but forcefully, he's saying, Timothy, I have a lot to tell you, son. It's time to grow up. That's what he's saying. We'll show you that, God willing, in a moment. This morning, I want to speak on a great house with glorious vessels in a godless environment. I'll say it again. A great house with glorious vessels in a godless environment. So Paul writes to young Timothy. He tells him to take courage, to hold on, to hold fast to all that he has heard and all that he's learned and all that he saw in the life of the apostle. And when you're reading Second Timothy, Timothy is now the pastor of the church of the God at Ephesus. That's where the Ephesian letter is written to. Timothy's now the pastor there. And the apostle is in Rome, and Paul is writing to the pastor of the church of Ephesus to tell him something. He says, Timothy, get ready, I'm going. You're going to have to take the mantle and grow up. I'll be leaving this place. You need continue on the work. That's what he's saying here. And it's said that Timothy is about, some say 22 to about 30, early 30s, years of age. Mostly people think he's in his 20s, and he's a young man. And this young man, uh, he's living in, in a city that was a great commercial area, full of commerce in Ephesus. And not only was it a great commercial area, but it was also full of worldly pleasures. Diana, the goddess of the Ephesians, was worshipped there, a great big temple to her. And you can imagine this uh, young, flourishing church with a young, flourishing pastor sitting under all of this with all the worldly temptations, with all the, the, the trials that are coming their way and all the, the troubles. You imagine the, the pressure and the stress that Timothy's under, and Paul knows it. And Paul is telling him something that he needs to hear, maybe not what he wants to hear, 
How many of us know that a faithful pastor, a faithful friend, and a faithful witness will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear? Love them for it. For faithful are the wounds of a friend, the Bible tells us. And if a friend loves you enough not to condemn you, not to bring destruction to you, but to give you, maybe wound you with truth, but to build you up and to help you, thank them for it. Because that proves their love to you, that they're willing to take a red face themselves. They're willing to have, as we would say, a brass neck. They're willing to take a risk in your friendship or in the church or whatever, if it's true and if it's right. So faithful are the wounds of a friend. And the apostle here, he calls Timothy his son. Timothy, my son. You'll hear Paul mentioning that, that phrase or term. And it doesn't mean Timothy was his natural son, but his son in the faith. In other words, he had seen Timothy come up through the faith. He had ministered to Timothy. He had had, had his, his input into Timothy's life. And Timothy starts to be nourished and starts to grow and flourish in the Lord. And he calls him his son in the faith. But sometimes, sometimes Paul turns to Timothy as an apostle. In other words, Paul has a couple of hats to put on. He puts on his fatherly hat when he's ministering and loving him gently. Puts on his father's hat. When he's encouraging him along and being a role model for him, that's the father's hat, as it were. Then he has to swap that hat over and put on the hat of an apostle. And he says, now this is what the work needs. I've encouraged you. Now we look at the work. And some of you know that whenever I'm around visiting, maybe even dealing with things, trying to encourage, trying to help, trying to bring on, trying to lift up and you know, you're putting up with listening to me and I'm putting up with listening to a lot of what you'd say to me and you're trying to do these things. And that's a, a, a father in the faith figure, if you want. That's the shepherd figure. That's the hat I'm putting on. But then sometimes I need to put on the pastor's hat to say, this is what needs done. I'm thinking of the work. Now, the work are people. You are the work of God. But I'm thinking of the work for the unity of the faith and the expansion of the gospel. So you see how there's a different, even with Paul here with Timothy, there's a different uh, uh, hat. Uh, I'm putting that on just for wanting for another phrase that Paul's putting on, and he loves him. He loves Timothy. And that's why he's telling him things that we're going to look at. The apostle tells him, Timothy, I'm instructing you, and I'm admonishing you, and I'm encouraging you. He says, be wise, be mature. For example, look at chapter 2 and verse 22. We stopped at verse 21, but look at verse 22. Look what he says. Timothy, flee youthful lusts. Let me say it again. Flee youthful lusts. The word in the middle of that line is the word, or those three words, is the word youthful. You're young, Timothy, but you're mature. You're an adult. You're a man. And you've grown up in Christ. He says, now it's time to come off milk onto the meat. It's time to dig deep. It's time to move on. It's time to take hard things. It's time to sw start trying to swallow the whole bale of hay without choking and dealing with it. And he says, Timothy, 
flee you for lust. Know what he's saying, Timothy, grow up. Now think where he is, he's in Ephesus. And all the temptations are there. And all ungodliness is there with the big temple of Diana and other worship is there. And he's saying, Timothy, I want you. Son, it's time to grow up. I'm leaving. The baton goes to your hand. Grow up and carry on the work. So you can see here how he's looking as an apostle. And he's saying, Timothy, flee youthful lusts. And you know, to flee youthful lusts, it means, I mean, a perfect example is Joseph with Potiphar's wife when he sold into Egypt and Potiphar buys him as a servant or a slave. And, uh, and we're told that, he, that uh, his wife tries to grab Joseph and bring, her in, bring him into her bed. And Joseph, he runs. You know, no one would have known. Think about this now. Joseph could have had his way. Joseph could have went with her and done what he, she wanted him to do and made life easy and fulfilled the lust of his flesh. Listen, Joseph was a human being like you and me. And Joseph had those wars going on inside him. And he could have done it. And no one would have known. Potiphar's wife surely wasn't going to try and tell her husband. Potiphar's wife wasn't going to tell her friends. Because that would have resulted in death for her. Separation from her husband, the loss of everything. And Potiphar's wife wouldn't have said a thing. Joseph could have done what he wanted, but he knew there was a God in heaven. You see, it's when we have the reality. Let me say it again. When we have the reality that there's a God in heaven. I'm going to say it again. When we have a reality that there's a God in heaven and that God in heaven reveals secrets. That's what we're told in the Bible. He reveals secrets. The secrets of men's hearts. The secret of women's heart, women's hearts. He reveals our deep innermost thoughts at times when it's to the damage of others. And here the problem is, Joseph, what do you do when someone in secret is grabbing you? What do you do in the secrets of your heart? What do I do? This isn't a rebuke. This is just an observation of what do we do? This is just a question. It's not a condemnation. What do we do in secret? Are we in, at home or in the workplace or wherever? Are we conscious of God and the things that we think do, how we act, what we say, what we get on like, are we the same as if we were in here? Well, I wouldn't like people in church to know I got up to that. You're right. But what about God when you're in front of him every day? Joseph ran away from the temptation of Potiphar's wife. Flee you for us, Paul tells Timothy. Flee from the things you used to think about or do. Don't let the commerce and the pleasures of this world lay hold on you to try and derobe you or disrobe you 
the way Potiphar's wife grabbed hold of Joseph, for in the end of it, all the secrets of men's hearts will be revealed before God, and maybe even before man. God brings to light those things that need reproof. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus that men hate the light because their deeds are evil. Listen to what he says here. Flee youthful lust, the things you used to do, the places you used to go, the life you used to live, the things you used to get up to. You don't do them anymore. You don't do them, Timothy. And those temptations are your flesh, he says, overcome them in the spirit. Okay, let's look at this verse a moment. Verse 22, flee also youthful us. Sorry, four letters I said three earlier. Flee also youthful us, but follow righteousness. Follow it. Chase hard it means. Pursue it. Pursue to live right. Pursue to live godly. Pursue to love one another. Pursue to say what's right and do what's right and be true. Pursue to live... Pursue to follow righteousness, faith, notice, faith, charity, that's love, peace with them that call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. Notice this. Out of a pure heart. The idea here is to have a mind to have a thought, to have a life, to build a church which was strong, unmovable, distinct, in other words, their own life before God, distinct, separated from the world, holy, but a church that is powerful, anointed, and above all things, Christ-centered. Everything in our life, everything in the preaching, everything in the worship, everything that we're doing, every decision we make should be Christ-centered. Everything. So Timothy, he's saying, flee you for us. Watch your company. Timothy, others may we may not. I remember it was also and I were in Romania and a pastor came over to us and his wife and they stayed with us for 10 weeks and his daughter, their daughter came over and we got on so well together. We just love them. We still have a great friendship with them. Pastor McTurnigan and Whitewell there and his wife Lillian and his daughter Tracy. That's Tracy who's married to Eddie out of Simple Faith. I remember coming over and William's so laid back. I remember one time that invited me to go to a place on that mansion I but invited me to go to a place and I wasn't sure where it was right for me to go. And William just comes up with his slow way about him and his laid back attitude and he says, Ken, he came up to my ear and he says, others may, we may not. And that was enough. And I remember that. Others may, we may not. 
It's not legalistic and bound. It's because others may get up to things, say things, do things, go places, but others may, we may not, brothers and sisters. There's a God in heaven. And the Lord in heaven wants us to be right before him and to walk in righteousness. Chapter 1 and verse 5. Listen to what Paul tells Timothy. Chapter 1 and verse 5. He says, Timothy, remember. Remember the unfeigned faith that is in thee. Now, notice where the faith is. It's in him. Remember the unfeigned faith that is in thee. Verse 6, he says, Timothy, notice, stir up the gift of God which is in thee. Notice it's in thee. And verse 7, God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, notice what he's saying. It's in thee, Timothy. Unfeigned faith. The gift of God is in thee. In other words, living in you is unfeigned faith. What is unfeigned faith? Well, briefly for a moment. Unfeigned is a word, anapokritos. Anapokritos. And it's where you and I get our word hypocrisy from. A hypocrite. And it gives the idea that Timothy's faith, which was in him, was not an hypocritical faith. It was not a faith that says one thing in public and believed another thing in private. It was not a faith that said, I, I, I believe that God heals, and I believe that God does, and I believe that Jesus saves and all this, and in behind the scenes he lives like a devil, or he doesn't really believe that God heals. Now, I know whenever we're looking at our loved ones and we're really struggling inside and we're saying, Lord, where are you? And we're praying for them and some have died and you're digging deep. The hypocritical faith is this, that you really, in public, speaking of me now, I'm preaching and saying, Jesus saves and Jesus heals. Jesus baptizes with the Holy Ghost and he's the soon coming king. Now for the four square gospel, I have to believe it all or believe none at all. And in spite of what happens in my life, I must continue to believe Jesus still saves sinners and Jesus still heals bodies and Jesus still baptizes with the Holy Ghost and Jesus is still coming again. In spite of who I am and what I think and what's going on around me, the unfeigned faith is this. It's not hypocritical. It believes God no matter what. Believes God that even in the hard times, you're in charge. That even when you hold the hand of a loved one who slips away from you, you're still in control. Unfeigned faith is this. That when you're praying for the sick, even at their last breath, you say, Lord, you can still raise them from the dead. 
And if he doesn't, he will on that day when he comes again. If they're in Christ. My faith tells me, Jesus, you're willing and able to save. But my faith also tells me, Lord, you're more than able to carry me through. No matter if I'm on the ground, rolled in a ball, head in a huddle, with tears flowing down my face, he's still got you and me in his hand. My faith is not in Christ because of what I believe, but of what, according to what he has planted in me. Because he is in me, he will not let me go even when I let go of him. That's unfeigned faith. Believing that he is the same yesterday and today and forever. Listen, I'll say this, I'll say it, I said it before. When we preach a gospel message that men and women must turn to Christ to be saved, or they're lost for all eternity. Now, I didn't say that. That Bible says that. If you're not saved, you will go to hell. That's hard. It's not. That's truth. You see? We're giving you the message. It offends, and you run away. But you can't run away from God. It still remains the same case. And only when a man and a woman accept Christ's death on the cross as their only means, method, and payment for their sin, then are they saved and born again. You see, whenever I say that, this Bible says you must be born again. Do I stop preaching it because some have left without getting themselves right with God? Do you stop witnessing it because your workmate or your family member hasn't received Christ yet? Do we just give up and throw the hands in the air? The answer is no. We keep the witness going. We keep on preaching. We keep on talking to them. We keep loving them and helping them along. We keep witnessing that Christ will one day break in. We keep praying for them, even though it hasn't happened. The same, I believe, in my witness of my spirit and my experience, according to the word of God, I believe that when I am praying for the sick, if the Lord decides this person is being taken, then they're taken. And I move on to the next one, and I'll say then, Lord, you're going to heal this one. Until he does it. You don't stop preaching to the unconverted because maybe some haven't been converted. Neither should you stop praying for the sick because some haven't been healed. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? You see, Paul here is handing over the mantle, and he's saying, Timothy, do you see the same Jesus that I showed you? Do you see the same Jesus that I preached about? Do you see this same Jesus that I witnessed? Do you see this same Jesus that you've seen emanating from my life? Do you see the same Jesus I showed you in the Word? That would be the Old Testament Scriptures, by the way. 
Do you see the same Jesus that you've heard me speak about? And the glories that he's shown me caught up under the third heaven. Do you see this one and the self exact same Jesus? He says, then, Timothy, you need to realize who he is, who you are in him. And take this mantle, hold the button, for I am leaving and you go on with the work. It didn't stop with Paul, in other words. It didn't stop with the apostle. He says, it carries on in you. Church, called out once. That's what it means. God has called you out for a reason, for a purpose, to take the mantle, to hold forth the word of life, and to believe that this same Jesus, whom Paul talked about, lives in you. He lives in you, and he lives in me. Look what I've got. Look. I haven't touched it yet. I'll have to do the next part when I come back in a couple of weeks or so. But here's, let me finish and round it up. He says, Timothy, what's your company? Timothy, others may, we may not. Timothy, take your stand and be unashamed. Remember the unfeigned faith that is in thee. Stir up the gift of God which is in thee. God hath not given us a spirit of fear or timidity is one of the words. Do you know when you see, you know, some Christians, their their hearts and flowers all the time? I'm waiting on them, you know, singing if you go to San Francisco, be sure to wear a flower in your hair sometimes. I really am. He says, don't be timid. The Holy Ghost is in you. Stop being timid. The Holy Ghost is in you. It doesn't mean to say be arrogant or be nasty. He said, but stop being timid. Be assured of who you are in your mind. The Spirit is, Timothy's Spirit is quickened. He's not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, of a sound mind. Verse 8 Be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, he says. Notice that. You're a partaker. And things may get rough, Timothy. And temptations may come. And you may be hurt. And you may be mournful. And you may be waning. And you may be all of these things. And fears may come upon you, says, Timothy... He says, be a partaker of it because Almighty God is in you to work through you. He's in you this morning, brethren, sisters. Almighty God is in you to work in you, to work through you. You are a partaker of the gospel according to the power of God. He has saved you and he's called you with a holy calling. Verse 13, notice, hold fast the form sound of words which thou hast heard of me. In chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Do you know what that means? Have you failed today? We fall all the time. We don't even realize it. Grace carries us on. Have you fallen this week? I'm not talking about you've went out 
done some wild deed or clubbing or whatever you're, you think that is. It just means, have you fallen in one sense, shape, or form or another? He says, and be strong. Listen to this. In the grace. Now, after saying all of that, and it sounded very legalistic in ways, listen to what he says. Be strong in the grace. You know what that means to say in Timothy? See, no matter what's in your mind, see, no matter the thoughts that's come to you, what's in your heart, no matter what temptations you've suffered, no matter what trials you've went through, no matter what is going on around you, no matter how many times you've failed, maybe something that, that you've got up to, thought, said, or done, or did, whatever, he says, listen, be strong in the grace. In other words, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is more than enough to abound over your sinning. In other words, he's saying, Timothy, grace isn't just a matter of, well, you know, I hope God forgives me because he's gracious. He says, be strong in that, knowing that he will forgive you because he loves you. Be strong in that this morning. I've done wrong. Well, haven't we all? So then let's get on with it. Put it right. Let's get on with it. He says, be strong in that grace. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 2 and 15, this is the last one. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. See, Timothy's faith was unfeigned faith. Wasn't hypocritical. Timothy may have been tempted and tried and tested and in turmoil at times. Timothy might have failed the Lord and he says, Lord, how can I ever get all go on with God? Paul says, Timothy, be strong. God is in you. You're not to fear, not to be timid. Move on. The mantle is covering you. The baton is being handed to you. You're going to hold forth the word of life. You're going to go forward in Jesus' name. Be strong in his grace and God will carry you through. Is everybody with me? Does that make sense to you this morning? God is on your side and he will carry you through. Remember that we hymn used to sing? What was it? Fight manfully onward. Dark passions subdue. Look ever to Jesus. He will carry you through. Strange what you learn at school, isn't it? I remember singing that at school and I thought, what on earth does that mean? Well, now I know. Now I know. Bless his name. Let's stand and praise the Lord.